What is good, everybody? It's your host, Fuad, back at it with another banger episode of Shoot Your Shot. These conference finals have been an absolute treat to watch, and I cannot wait to break them down for you guys today. They have been full of surprises, and as I am recording right now, the Boston Celtics are currently down 118 to 88. So without further ado, let's get right into the news. I want to preface this podcast by breaking down this game that's happening right now. Nobody forecasted Boston to come out on the road and perform this badly, even though they had 17 offensive rebounds to Miami zero and won the boards by 51 to a 32 margin. They ended up hoisting about 15 more shots up until this point in the game with about two minutes remaining and their stars came out short. That's that's being generous. Their stars came out and just sold the game. Essentially, they were Jalen Brown was six for 17. Jason Tatum is six for 18. Brown was 0 for 7 on threes, and Tatum was 1 for 7. They both had 12 and 14 points, respectfully. Honestly, nobody forecasted this series being that lopsided. However, Miami is running away with this series. I'm forecasting a clean sweep come the next game four at Miami. Honestly, Butler is just taking this to a whole new level. The entire Miami Heat squad came out with their guns firing. We got Gabe Vincent going for 29 points off 6 for 9 shooting from 3. When nobody in the entire Celtics squad could buy a bucket from 3, the Celtics as a team shot 10 for 39, which is 26% from 3. When Miami was 17 for 33, which equates to 50 And then even though, like I mentioned, the Celtics had about 15 more shot attempts or 15 more field goal attempts than the Miami Heat, they ended up making about five less field goals. You got the Boston Celtics having a 39% field goal percentage as a team, as opposed to Miami's 56% from the field. Um, it's safe to say that this series is over. It's going to be a clean sweep or a gentleman sweep if Boston decides to maintain some dignity and win one game on the road. However, the way their stars came out is simply unacceptable. You got Tatum and Brown just firing up threes most of the game rather than putting the ball on the floor and trying to get the bucket the old-fashioned way by running to the rim and getting the most high percentage shot possible. Um... There is simply no other excuses to make for that team. Ever since Grant Williams poked the bear in Game 2, the momentum has shifted towards the Miami Heat's favor, and they are the runaway favorite for the rest of the series. Uh, ESPN came out and said that the Miami Heat had a 3% chance of winning this series when that is simply the furthest thing from the truth. They are going to proceed while having a sweep. That is my forecast for the rest of the series. There was one point at this game where the Heat's undrafted players and only the Heat's undrafted players 
had the same amount of points, 35 points, as the entire Celtics squad, which consists of multiple lottery first round picks. Ever since Bam took that lob and threw it down, the momentum had shifted for this game as well. It, that was followed by a Marcus Smart airball three attempt, which pretty much sums up the rest of the game and how it went for the Celtics. They just kept settling for threes rather than getting the wide open play and working together to try to find the open man. You got both the Jays going 6 for 18 and 6 for 17 with them coming into the playoffs with the best top net rating on the Boston Celtics squad. The Heat had a 38-17 to 17 run to end the half and never looked back and I don't think they're going to look back at the end of the series. The Heat ended the first half with a 38 to 17 run and honestly never looked back. It's looking like we're going to have the Heat going back to the finals after the bubble against the Denver Nuggets. Honestly, I'd give the edge to the Nuggets because even though they're not a top 10 defense like we mentioned further along this episode, I think they are truly unguardable in the fact that they can get the best shot possible within each possession. Of course, that's nothing to put past Jimmy Butler. This man is capable of doing wonderful things on wonderful occasions on the biggest stage. There is nothing that Jimmy Butler cannot accomplish. He literally single-handedly put out the favorite to win away and run away with this year's title. And I am forecasting a sweep like I mentioned already for this series. And then hopefully the Heat put up a good fight in the finals because everybody is rooting for Jimmy Butler as the underdog. He has been throughout this entire playoffs as the eighth seed and leading his team to the finals. So without further ado, let's get right into this episode. Thank you guys for listening. All right, yeah, so we could just get started. Um... We could also talk about like how Jaw is being really stupid briefly, just to start off, because honestly, I think like he pretty much like pulled out the narrative to everybody that he was like um, cured. He was going through therapy. Um, he was checking in and trying to work on himself and go through the tough times. And especially because like the NBA has been releasing this huge narrative about like mental health awareness and just being in tune with your mental health specifically. Um, everyone took him seriously right because it was like the first time that something like that had come up with him but after they got knocked out the fact that he's like doing that on his friend's IG live which is the same friend who was like basically kicked out of the entire Pacers arena and banned because he started talking smack to the players honestly I think it's really stupid on his part because he's jeopardizing a lot of what he's worked for his entire life by appearing to like just put off this thug persona or whatever personality he's going for. I think it's like kind of influencing him very negatively. And Adam Silver honestly came out and said that he was um, trying to look for like a very serious suspension because of how he dealt with the fact after the matter of the fact that he told us that he was going to rehab for it and working on himself uh, on a mental perspective. But then uh, a few mere weeks later, he's out and about doing the same thing that he was going to therapy for. So what are your thoughts on that? I mean, I definitely am very cognizant of the issues surrounding mental health. Um, that being said, I think the reason the NBA is going for possibly a longer suspension isn't really just because 
you know, even for a second time job waved a gun around on Instagram live, which even that's not good. You shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be brandishing a weapon irresponsibly, especially when you're, you know, a celebrity, an athlete, you know, someone people are supposed to look up to and Jaws a father, by the way, like little car, he's watching his every move. Um, reminds me a lot of uh, Gilbert Arenas from probably like 15 or 20 years ago. You know, he also had weapon problems and, you know, caught up with him eventually, you know, career wise. Uh, but I think the other thing too was, isn't Jaw also the subject of a couple lawsuits right now? Cause he was like bullying a 17 year old. So I think it's also, it's kind of everything added up together. Where it's like, okay, Jaw, like it may be a mental health thing, but regardless, you you got to get it together, or else like your your career is in serious jeopardy. Yeah, I think he's already past that point, to be honest, because Adam Silver came out and said that he's looking at a very serious suspension. Uh, reports have been come out saying that it's going to be as long as half the season or even the entire season next year. So I think he's really playing with fire here and he thinks that he's kind of untouchable because he's an athlete and he already made it. But um, like repercussions of such a thing have already been seen where he was suspended for like eight games last season but that was more of a formality he actually lost out on about 40 million dollars because of the lack of him making an all-nba team because of that very instance and like you said it's an uh, accumulation of all the things that he has been doing up to that point stinks because i i almost wonder if he was left off that third team for that very reason it's like you know when he was on the court, he was playing very well most of the time. You know, certainly all NBA caliber, just I don't think the league could take the PR hit of naming him to the team. And, you know, I think his conduct kind of takes away from his production on the court. 100%. Yeah, just wanted to kind of talk a little bit about that because it's honestly sad. It's not really common that we, we see players from that caliber throw away their careers like that because of such domicile stupid moments but unfortunately that is the case with jaw and uh we just wanted to cover it a little bit for our viewers and listeners today however moving forward to the actual playoffs we are in the conference finals it's been a hell of a season so far this playoff run has been historic for a multitude of reasons being the fact that the seventh and eighth seeds are both in the conference finals and putting up a fight like we're going to discuss later in the Boston Heat segment. However, now deferring to the Lakers versus Nuggets, honestly, um, we got ESPN uh, coming out and saying that it was basically a 50-50 series. They gave the slight edge to Denver with a 52% chance and the Lakers in a 48% chance. So it was essentially a toss-up between both teams. Um, a lot of experts came out and said that they foreshadowed the Nuggets winning it, which was one of the few times that the Nuggets were favored to win any of their playoff series up to this point. A lot of disrespect has been cast upon the Nuggets, specifically Jamal Murray, because he was injured for about two years with, uh, I, th- I believe it was two ACL tears for the same knee. So. Mm-hmm. Um, he was basically out for a really long time that people forgot and kind of dubbed the bubble as a fluke because he was just playing out of his mind over there, but not before. He has zero all-star nods to his name. So I feel like people were just like, yeah, it's like that player for the Pacers who dropped 50 in the bubble, who is that just one-time thing. Whereas now um, you see people like John Morant and uh, Jamal Murray 
just playing out of their minds after that case. So I think there's a lot of disrespect cast upon Jamal Murray's name, even Nikola Jokic, but that's slightly less because he has been acknowledged with his two MVPs. However, mm-hmm. Jamal Murray just came out in game three specifically with a statement to prove, as we're going to get into here a little bit later. However, let's go back to game one in Denver. Honestly, the fourth quarter specifically was a toss-up between both teams. It was pretty much any team's game at that point. We got Jokic having an all-time historic game, which has pretty much made it for himself to be the normal case scenario over these playoffs. However, he had 34, 21, and 14, which is absolutely an astounding stat line. And then you also got AD with 40 points. He came out with something to prove. You got LeBron James with 36 at 38 years old. He had 12 boards and nine assists. LeBron had a lot of games where he's kind of been flirting with the triple-double, but he hasn't gotten it. However, that's not to take away from his astounding and amazing performances so far at his ripe age of 38 years old so far in the playoffs. Uh, Just a few nice stats for you to consider here. Jokic was the only NBA player in playoff history with 30, 20, and 10 in multiple games over a single playoff run. And you got the Nuggets role players on top of the fact that their two star players are playing amazing, playing out of their minds as well. Now, as the cliche saying goes, uh, role players do play better at home. However, we also saw that carry out to the game three performance that we're going to get into a little bit later here. So I think this team is pretty much just out on a mission to get it. We also Jamal Murray's uh, game three post interview where he was simply like, oh, uh, the interviewer asked him, he, uh, she was like, you're one game away from the NBA finals. And he didn't even flinch. She was just, he, 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 uh, he held up his hand and he was like five more games. So this man's literally on a mission. No one can stop him. And I think everybody on that team, the way they play, uh, how they play the game the right way, quote unquote, pretty much everyone touches the ball on every single possession. So it kind of makes it so people feel like they're part of that play, even though they're not. All they did was pass the ball. It feels like they are involved in every single action and play taken down the stretch which kind of motivates them to keep playing hard. Like you saw Bruce Brown fighting for rebounds with players that are like at least six, seven inches taller than him and getting those 50-50 balls every single time when it came to that game, uh, when it came to that series so far. In game one, we saw a 30 to 47 discrepancy in rebounds, specifically five to 15 on offensive rebounds. So when you see that, It kind of gets you thinking out loud that the Lakers simply don't want it as much as Denver does because they're fighting with grit. They're fighting with everything they have and they're putting their bodies on the line when it comes to getting those 50-50 balls, which ended up essentially being the, the difference maker down the stretch because all of the games up until game three were pretty much decided by five to 10 points. So it was a very, very small edge towards the end. And honestly, I think Austin Reeves is the only player on the Lakers that's playing as hard as the uh, Denver Nuggets role players in terms of him not giving up and being insanely efficient, which kind of makes him due for a hell of a payday after this playoff run. What do you think so far? Yeah, I mean, Reeves, I mean, 11 points in the fourth quarter, that's really clutch. You, You know, the Lakers 
at times have struggled to get some offensive production, even with LeBron and AD combining ultimately for 76 points. You know, you always need that little extra spurt, especially against the Nuggets, who it's interesting. They almost are kind of executing in the way you would have expected maybe like a, a Celtics to have. Like, you know, there's a lot of uh, ball movement on offense. You know, their stars are doing exactly what's asked of them, you know, for Jokic. He almost is getting a triple double by halftime, basically. Like, yeah, it ultimately finishes with those 30 20 10 games. Uh, Murray you know, has put up a few 30 plus point games. Actually, you know, in that game three, put up 30 points just in one half. Um, yeah, as you said, I think he's also extra motivated having missed the last two playoffs. And, you know, after he got injured, I was watching a little interview clip from Mike Malone. Um, he even asked him, you know, Murray did, you know, am I damaged goods? Are you going to trade me? And Mike Malone was like, hell no. Like you're one of us, you're, you're here to stay. And I, I'm sure that stuck with him. Cause it's like, okay, like we're serious about doing something in the way of like winning a title. We're not just going to put up a few good regular seasons and then, you know, get bounced early in the playoffs. Um, so I wouldn't be shocked if, you know, this is a gentleman's sweep out in the Western Conference and, you know, you ultimately have the Nuggets just carry that momentum. Because um, they actually looked a little flat coming out of the regular season, I remember. Yeah, there were questions of how strong were, was their defense really. And, yeah, their offense at times looked like the best in the league, but other times was a bit stagnant. But, you know, they're looking good on both sides of the ball. They really are. You know, I wouldn't be shocked to see them win their first title in their first NBA finals appearance. Yeah, 100 um, percent. A lot of narratives have come out, been saying essentially that it is the year of the role player because you've seen role players, especially within the Heat and the Denver Nuggets, just essentially having lifetime performances, right? Like you have people like Caleb Martin coming out and just having statement games away from home on the road. And then you, we just mentioned Austin Reeves, right? It's essentially the year of the undrafted role player where um, a lot of people are going against the mainstream narrative where you have to be drafted at a top pick to do well. You got people like Anthony Edwards just failing and funking within the first round, shooting very inefficiently, even though they were dubbed as the number one pick for the Minnesota Timberwolves. And then you got players like Caleb Martin, like I just mentioned, even Gary Vincent, the nerve when he had in the Boston series, as we're going to get into a little bit later, to pull up for that mid-range shot, to essentially ice the game where Boston was coming back slowly but surely, and they were doubling and denying Jimmy Butler the ball. Gary Vincent against Jason Tatum, mind you, a really good defender. He just pulled up on a dime, and he just pulled up for that midi, and he drained it with nothing but net. So it is essentially the, the year of the role player where people are coming out with something to prove, and I think it's going to be a hell of a series. No matter what final series we get, it's going to be one as an instant classic because the amount of role players that are kind of just going out and about with something to prove and essentially just maintaining themselves at a level where they were dubbed as they weren't good enough to do that. And on top of that, earning themselves a fat paycheck in the offseason. No, exactly. And even for the Lakers, you had a yeah, Austin Roots mentioned you know Rui was shooting very efficiently in that in the Sun series especially so you have, you have a bunch of different guys you know making their 
making their names. It's also good, you know, you have a night where your stars are struggling. You you need that guy who who will step up, you know, sort of like an Austin Reeves score those double digit fourth quarter points and carry the team to victory on a night where maybe it shouldn't happen, but it does anyways. 100%. Yeah, uh, I think uh, I think Reeves has given his best so far, but obviously the Lakers have now fallen short three times. Yeah, honestly, I feel like Rui Hachimura and Austin Reeves have been essentially the best role players for the Lakers. Um, I think their head coach did a huge mistake. Darvin Ham was essentially betting on D'Lo to just catch fire in this series because He's been shooting abysmal. He's been having a horrible performance in this series specifically. He's been shooting really inefficiently and even not playing well on defense. In my mind, who in the right mind would start a player like D'Angelo Russell, who hasn't even been contributing well on the offensive end, to guard Jamal Murray, who, just like you alluded to earlier, dropped 30 points in the first half. Now, he definitely came back to earth and slowed down in the second half. He only had seven in that game three. However, that good start that Denver got out basically never ended up, they just never looked back. The Lakers kept trying to get back in it. It was only a three-point game for game three within that halftime. However, the rest of the Denver team picked up the slack when Jamal Murray just pretty much put them on his back in the beginning of that first half. Honestly, I think Darvin Ham did not adjust well enough. He tried to put uh, Jared Vanderbilt on him, but it was too late. And Jared Vanderbilt was simply too slow. He was getting screened by every single bigger person on the opposition. And uh, just like Rui and Austin Reeves said in their postgame pressers, the Denver Nuggets team is simply bigger than them. They have players bigger than them in each of their positions. Their smallest players are Jamal Murray and KCP at 6'4 and 6'5 each, and they are both snipers. However, when you look at the Lakers guards, you got D'Lo and you got Schroeder, you got Austin Reeves, who's the only exception to that rule. However, you got uh, Schroeder, who's out there for his defense on Murray when it was simply too late. Murray was already in his groove. He was just on cloud nine, just shooting whatever shots that he took went in and there were splashes. So I think that was a bad adjustment on Darvin Ham's end because if it was me coaching that team in an alternate universe, I would have definitely took out D'Angelo Russell way earlier because of his lack of contribution on offense and simply gave uh, the ball to either LeBron James or Austin Reeves because they have been proven to have to make these plays down the stretch and essentially get everybody involved at the same time while keeping the ball without um, essentially turning it over and giving it up to the other teams. When you look at D'Lo, on the other hand, he wasn't contributing positively on the defensive end or the offensive end. Mm -hmm. On top of that, he kept turning the ball over pretty much every position when he wanted to pass to AD or LeBron. No, I think uh, I I I don't understand that part either. Um, personally, I, I yeah, I it's clear that D'Lo isn't performing well, and I, I just don't think matches up quite as well against the Nuggets. So I would definitely like to see more more LeBron, more Austin Reeves touches. Yeah, I, I guess I feel like AD is still a little bit of that hot in a little bit of that hot and cold cycle. You know, had that forty point game one, but game two kind of sold the game so yeah. he's still been a little bit up and down too 
Yeah, had a what was it like three three late turnovers in the game, I believe. Yeah, that game yeah. too. LeBron pretty James brutal. Essentially, sold game one with his turnover and his ill-advised late game threes, and then AD also sold the game two with his uh, uh, fourth quarter turnovers. There was also a really popular narrative where people were sometimes bashing AD, but not really at the same time at the end of game two, because you saw Austin Reeves make those go-ahead buckets late game. However, AD decided to take a corner three, which he already made in that very game, so you can't get mad at him for that. And it wasn't a bad miss that barely just um, like rotated around the rim in and out. But people were on his back because um, Austin Reeves was one pass away on the strong side. He was on the right wing when AD took the took that three from the right corner and Austin Reeves was pretty much on an island by himself he wasn't guarded by anybody on the right wing which is his spot and if AD made that extra pass a lot of ESPN and NBA analysts came out and said that essentially they believed that Austin Reeves would have made that shot because it would have been an in rhythm shot it would have put the Lakers up and it would have basically just not been AD playing with fire where he's shooting like, I think, 23% from three for the playoffs and even less in the season. So um, you can't really get mad at him for it because it was an in-rhythm shot and he had already made one that game. However, if he made that extra pass, I believe that the Lakers would have been sitting at a different situation come the end of game two. And an interesting stat going back to LeBron missing those late gate go-ahead buckets LeBron has actually missed uh, his last 19 straight three-point attempts in the, in the fourth quarter in the entire playoffs. So not only this series, but he is actually wow. one for 20 in the fourth quarter in the entire playoffs when it comes to go-ahead threes late in the fourth quarter. Crazy, because you know King, King James is a big part of why the Lakers have made it this far, yeah, despite being a third seed as late as like january or february but yeah that, that that's brutal especially in these you know small margin games yeah you, know, you gotta have lebron at least making some of those one for one for of your last 20 is that that's brutal like there's just no other way to put it 100 you saw reeves take that bank shot three he banked it in the bank was open for him that day and it brought the lakers to within two points and then you saw AD with that turnover and his ill-advised three, which mm -hmm. basically just gave the Denver Nuggets back the game. I think, like we discussed earlier, if he made that extra pass, then Reeves would have either made a play or just essentially gotten a bucket. However, AD decided to take that shot. He ended the game four for 15 with 18 points. And LeBron James was also zero for six from three with a total of 22 points, four steals and a missed layup. After that steal attempt where um, Denver, they essentially had two late turnovers where MPJ just came out and dribbled the ball on the inbounds. So that was a turnover. And then they had an ill-advised inbound pass after the Lakers scored where LeBron James came out with the steal and he missed the go-ahead layup as well. So I think that was pretty much it for the Lakers. They had their strength and motivation just kicked out of them because they were so close to that. Both of those games and tried to steal one of them on the road. However, 
their lackluster fourth quarter effort with essentially just scoring 24 to Denver's 32 in that last fourth quarter where they actually started five for 20. So the fact that they actually ended up getting 24 points was a miracle of itself because starting out five for 20 in the mm-hmm. fourth and ending, ending up with 24 points is pretty much miraculous. However, they pretty much just blew those close calls at the end with AD's turnover, his ill-advised three, and LeBron James's missed layup go-ahead bucket, as well as LeBron shooting way too many threes in that fourth quarter in that late game, fourth quarter game two. However, we thought they had a chance to come in at the end of game three at home, more motivation. They were down 2-0. And some interesting stats here as well. The Lakers and Denver were both undefeated at home throughout that entire playoff run. So uh, Denver actually handed the Lakers their first L at home throughout this entire playoff season. And that's not really too hard to believe that they were both undefeated because, um, like we said earlier, Denver is actually going to be the first team that actually makes the NBA Finals within the last 30 or even 40 NBA seasons with not, without a top 10 defense. And how they do that is essentially with that ball movement and essentially something that I'd like to call, quote unquote, being truly unguardable. Whereas they have so many options to score and their front court is so dependent on getting threes and not even just threes, just pull up jump shooting. Like you got people like MPJ, you got people like Jeff Green, you got people like Jokic, obviously. All of those players are really good at shooting the ball. And then they're two non-shooters and uh, their sixth man, who's essentially dubbed as their sixth starter, Bruce Brown and Aaron Gordon are essentially two players that can't shoot the ball that well, but can pretty much do everything else at an elite level. And what I mean by that is essentially getting those offensive rebounds, right? They get those 50-50 balls. They get the hustle plays. They can camp out on the dunker spot uh, as the fifth guy and just get you those second chance opportunities every single time especially Bruce Brown being at 6'4 and being a guard, but plays way bigger than his size, essentially beating AD to some re- offensive boards and getting them in, uh, scoring insane lob passes from Jamal Murray or whoever passed it to him. I just feel like those two players complement their overall shooting squad so well, which essentially makes them that first team in NBA history to be able to get this far without a top 10 defense because of all of their off-ball cuts and movement and options to score, they're pretty much getting a good shot every single time down the road. And they can make up for their bad defense because of their length on their front court offensively and defensively when it comes to their shooting prowess combined with their hustle plays when it comes to those two non-shooters. However, I also want to give you a really nice stat about game three. LeBron has actually been down twice in the conference finals uh, down 0-2 and he has come back twice to win both of those series so a lot of people went into game three with that narrative essentially saying that because the king was down 0-2 twice in the conference finals before he's going to find a way to do it again and um, another cool stat about this game three going into it with the Lakers is that LeBron was actually shooting zero for 13 from three in the series So if you go back to that uh, fourth quarter stat I shared with you earlier about how he was one for 20 in the playoffs in the fourth quarter, um, he had actually not made any threes in this particular series. 
And uh, a lot of them were late in the fourth quarter, like we discussed a little bit earlier. However, um, I think that he's settling a lot for threes when he should be shoot uh, like driving or making a play, right? Because um, we got ESPN analytics that came out and said that he's actually shooting over 65% from inside the arc for the entire playoffs. And he's shooting over 72% from inside the arc in this very series. And then you have him late game settling for jumpers that he's pretty much shooting 0 for 13 in, in this very series, which has pretty much just made it super obvious that he's regressed as a shooter and his age is showing in terms of him settling for those, those jump shots instead of making a play, putting the ball on the ground, or just essentially just uh, going and getting a bucket to the rim, right? You have him just settling for these shots, which puts the Lakers in the position that he's in today. However, a lot of analysts came out and said that he's been 0-2 down before twice and he's going to do it again. After they lost game three, a reporter post-game actually asked him if he intentionally wanted to go down 0-3 because he wanted to make history because he's been responsible for making history so many times in the NBA before. So a reporter actually came out and asked him if he wanted to do this on purpose and if that was his mindset because he's essentially been responsible for so many records in the NBA today. And uh, yeah, it was kind of like an ironic question. But at the same time, LeBron just didn't even blink. He said, that's always been my mindset. And that is the mindset I still have today. So honestly, I don't really know if that like why he wants to take the hard route like he did back in 2016 down for 3-1 to win the NBA championship. But like we discussed off this uh, episode offline, I think that it's basically a wrap within five games. The Lakers might get one of the games in game four at home. And uh, I think the Nuggets are essentially going to close it down in game five at home. If they don't, then they will for sure at game six. I don't think it's going to go as, even as far as the game six or game seven. However, this is just a lot of food for thought when you have the King settling for a lot of jumpers rather than putting the ball on the deck and making a play. And a lot of people are coming out to say that it's his age showing or it's his lack of motivation. However, I think it's a multitude of factors combined with the fact that they were so close to taking one of those games on the road. And then they came back out flat to start game three at home. Yeah, I think uh, I think for LeBron settling it, as you said, it's really, I think, his age. You know, I know he's dealt with some injuries, so might make him a little bit more hesitant to drive to the hoop or even get something more like a, a mid-range or even get some nice little bunnies versus settling for you know, long threes, which, yeah, LeBron never did poorly per se, but he was never, you know, like a sharpshooter like Ray Allen, like you, you give it to him behind the arc and he's basically just going to make it. Like LeBron's thing has always been like, being aggressive, attacking the hoop, you know, finding ways to maneuver around defenders, you know, even when the matchup's not ideal. And I, I think for all the reasons I just mentioned, less hesitant to drive to the hoop right now and settles for more of those jumpers, but getting numbers 0 for 13 from three this series and 0 for 20 in fourth quarters during the playoffs, like or excuse me, 1 for 20. Yeah, the numbers speak for themselves. That's just, it's just not good. It's probably not good for LeBron's psyche either. Yeah, you know, he obviously really wants to win and 
I'm sure he's kicking himself for not making a few more of those, just given the margins of the games. Um, and on that note, I, I do think that contributed to Lakers coming out flat in game three. You know, you lose by a combined, what was it, like nine points? Yeah, very, very it close games. On very remote. small margins. It doesn't um, help that Murray came out five for five in the first quarter and had 30 in the first half, too. Well, that's just it. It's like you, you lost those games. Yeah, Murray was, he had 37, I believe, in game two. Uh, yeah, Jokic only had 23 points in that game, too, too. And they still, you know, lost the game. Oh, yeah. And then, as you mentioned, you had guys like uh, like Bruce Brown come through in uh, game game three. He had, what, like 15 points, five boards. Yeah, he was contributing. You know, you have other guys like Michael Porter Jr., Jeff Green. You know, could even go further down the bench to guys like Ish Smith. Like, like a lot of guys are ready to contribute. And going back to my earlier comment about what Mike Malone said about Jamal Murray after his ACL tear, like it was clear that group uh, was very much ready to make a title, even if the basketball world wasn't ready for it to happen. Um you know, Mike Malone made some very interesting comments after game one about how, yeah, instead of focusing on them winning, you know, sports media was focusing on the Lakers losing. And uh, exactly. I'm sure that's extra fuel to the fire for them. You know, the Nuggets are always a team that no one wants to talk about really outside of that bubble run. But I, I think uh, I think those guys are ready to force those conversations to be had. Yeah. I also feel like it's because people just don't give Jamal Murray enough credit. I feel like people kind of compare him to being like a John Morant or like, you know, like just a regular all-star in the regular season where their playoff stats don't really end up getting better or improving. Donovan Mitchell, you know, like um, I feel like he's compared to those players where he kind of has like a really good regular season and then he just becomes like a like a star slash role player in the playoffs where he's actually cold-blooded to a fact that he's closer to a Devin Booker than a John Moran, for example. You know, like he has that edge when the playoffs come around, he turns it on to a whole new notch and he just goes berserk and drops like 37 in back-to-back games in the conference finals. Yeah, I don't, I don't understand that narrative either. I mean, going back to the bubble, he... Like, literally, him and Donovan Mitchell were trading 50 pieces in the bowl. The Nuggets came back from two, three to one deficit consecutively, which, you know, that's never happened before. That's so, like, that alone should dispel those types of narratives about Murray. But yeah, it's pretty crazy that they exist. Like, Murray's pretty clearly shown he has that dog in him. I think, uh, yeah, it's hard to see if the Nuggets do end up winning the finals that Jokic wouldn't be the the MVP. But you know, if they do win, Murray's going to have a huge hand in it. Yeah, you know, I would guess. I would guess at least two thirty point games. Wouldn't be shocked if he puts together a forty piece because he kind of he kind of puts together those quiet forty piece games sometimes. Like you don't even realize he's scoring a lot, but just over the course of a game. You know, you get to the fourth quarter, it's like, oh, Jamal Murray just scored points 40 and 41. Yeah, I think uh, one of his, like, stats going into that game three, 
pairing off of his fourth quarter performance in game two. So he had 23 out of his 37 in game two in the fourth quarter. And then going into game three, if you count the first half where he had 30, he pretty much had like, what, 30? He had 53 points in three quarters. So man's been on a mission to prove something to all the haters who've put him down, who've counted him out, including the media. Like you said, Mike Malone came out and pretty much spoke about how the narrative is about the Lakers losing rather than the Denver Nuggets winning. And honestly, I think that it's been a game of runs, especially for the third game. You had Denver come out on a 13 to zero run to start the game. You had the Lakers basically go on their own 13 to zero run to close out the half. And then late in the fourth quarter, when it mattered the most, you had Denver make those two back-to-back threes from two role players. Bruce Brown made a three from the left side corner. And then Jeff Green made a three from the right side corner. And that was basically game. And basically in a must-win game, must-win scenario for the Lakers, they called a timeout and they never were able to get back in rhythm. After then, Denver just kept the barrage coming. They kept shooting lights out. And that's pretty much what happens when you have a starting five that could all shoot the ball at a high level and your worst player is, and that I say that with a lot of respect, and your worst player is Aaron Gordon, who is pretty much a dominant foreman in his prime that shoots over 30% from three, which in his team's context makes him look like a subpar shooter. But when surrounded by players like that, and you have open looks that are essentially where you can lick your finger and smell where the wind is coming from, you have so much time that you can either plant your feet and shoot that three or just dribble into a midi or just pretty much do what he has been doing, which is bully his way into the paint and then sidestep and then just put the ball into the hoop no matter who's in front of him. Like he had multiple possessions where he pretty much hopped Euro step into a dunk and Austin Reeves was right in front of him. So he just bullies defenders out of the way and gets to the rack no matter what. And that's your worst starter. You're surrounded by Jokic who can shoot the three, who's pretty much been shooting at 50% plus this entire playoff series, which is nuts. You have Jamal Murray, which we just discussed is a quintessential point guard who just pretty much has a mission and is on a mission to prove everyone wrong. You have KCP, which is playing with that 100% edge because the Lakers sold him, essentially, right? The Lakers gave him away for Russell Westbrook, which at the time of the trade, I think KCP was better than Westbrook especially in the terms of how the fit worked for that Lakers team. Mm-hmm. Very much so. Oh, I yes. think that the Lakers gave away one of their crucial title pieces, and now he's back on a mission, on a revenge tour, if you will, to prove them wrong and them to trading him to acquire Russell Westbrook, which is ironically no longer on the team. And then you go down that list, you have Michael Porter Jr., who's a bona fide open three-point shooter I think he on a spot-up possession every possession he averaged 1.2 points on spot-up threes throughout the regular season which is in the 95th percentile so 
they pretty much have deadly weapons from any context you choose to break it down. That's why they're making it that far without having a top 10 defense. And they're on their road to make history, like you just said, which is just winning their first NBA finals and their first finals appearance without that top 10 defense, which is historic in its perspective. And it just no more words to basically describe what they're doing because it's out of this world. Yeah, I'm excited. I'm excited to see how the series ends. I think the Nuggets close it out in a gentleman's sweep. And then we'll see how the finals go for them. Be very be very excited for Nuggets fans and for the Nuggets team. Yeah. Shout out so to just, for Nuggets even, fans. Even just making the finals is a huge deal for them because it's their first uh first time in franchise history. You know, I'm sure they'll try to make it one for one. And in the meantime. There's a very yourself, interesting like, bat- battle in the East. Let's talk to about see who will play, who will, who will quite possibly play the Nuggets. Well, someone will will definitely play the Nuggets in the finals, in all likelihood. Uh, just a question of whether it will be my Boston Celtics or Hemi Buckets in the Miami Himothy. Heat. Hemothy. Uh, at the moment, it is looking like Hemothy uh, Buckets and the Heat will get it done as they are currently up two to nothing on my Celtics after two road games for them. They, they stole two games at TD garden by a combined 13 points. What a, what a, what a crazy couple games. Uh, first, <laughs> first game. I mean, you have Jimmy and bam combined for 55 points. Yeah. Jimmy buckets also had five rebounds, seven assists and four seals just in the fourth quarter alone. Like holy mother of clutch, like that's that's crazy. Like you you make the plays at the most opportune times for your team and for the Celtics, the most inopportune times. Uh, but you know we're talking about guys like Murray who are out on a mission. Yeah, how about Jimmy Butler? Scored fifty six points all the way in the in the first round against Milwaukee. Mm. He's averaging. Why he's averaging 30 some 30. odd points per game right now, yeah, like about 30 points per game. You know, he's he's going crazy and interest. And another thing, too, is uh, you know, the Heat, who you know, people usually say, Oh, the Heat aren't a very good shooting team, not a very good offense, which generally is true for the regular um, season. However, absolutely, for the regular season, they got the a playoffs. little bit better at the end, but they were. You know, they they were a bottom five offense in the regular season, and yep. their defense sort of came and went some. But I mean, that game one, they shot fifty one percent from three. Fifty one percent. That's insane. And I believe it was there was a very interesting from three. Mm-hmm. And it was very interesting because there was a bit of a deja vu in game one, um, as you may remember from. Game one of the 2022 Eastern Conference Finals. The Heat also won that game. I want to say about like nine or 10. And what happened in that game was the Celtics won three of the four quarters. So they won the first, second, fourth quarters. But in basketball, you got to win all four quarters. So in 2022, the Celtics gave up a 39 to 14 third quarter to the Heat, lost the game. This year, 
it was 45 to 25. The Celtics defense gave up 45 points in a quarter. I mean, you can't tell me that that any team is supposed to win a game after doing that. Like it was kind of a miracle it was a game at all. Um it was actually 46 points in the third. So just to add insult to injury. <laughs> <laughs> Trust me, I was already gravely injured from what the Celtics did in that third quarter, anyways. Yeah. Um, just like you said, honestly, yeah, and then I, as I for think the... Missoula has like a large part to play as well, right? Like playing Peyton Pritchard instead of Grant Williams. And honestly, given the game two context, even Grant Williams was a bad play. So I think Missoula just has like fire and fire options to play with. Um, yeah. I I will personally admit that one factor about this series that perhaps underrated was the coaching differential. And this isn't to say Missoula is an awful coach, but he's a first year head he's coach and he's up against it's a rookie head coach. A seasoned and veteran. He's up against er- a very seasoned veteran with multiple titles under his belt, Eric Spolstra, mm-hmm. who, I mean, this team was 44 and 38 in the regular season. And as I said, bottom five offense, the whole nine yards, but they look none the part of that in, in the playoffs. And yeah, the, the series almost kind of gives me like 2020 bubble vibes of the Eastern Conference Finals where. Miami's just, they're the more physical team. They're making the clutch plays at the end. You know, making the buckets they need to make. I mean, the other thing too in that game one was, you know, a bunch of the role players like like Vit, like Caleb Martin, Gabe Vincent. I think uh, the Grote, they all had like 15 points. And, you know, the the Heat were making almost all their wide open threes, like 80% of them. Yeah, yeah, so it wasn't even that. Caleb Martin and Kyle Lowry all had 15 along with Gary Vincent. Exactly. And the thing is, like, yes, the Heat made their wide open threes, but the fact that they were wide open so much tells me that this is as much like the Celtics defense lost in the game. Exactly. Um, and then just questionable rotations. For the Celtics, again, playing Peyton Pritchard when you need more defensive intensity isn't the way to go. And, you know, when his when he's not making his shots, you know, he's going to be huge net negative. Exactly. Uh, I mean, during that game one, not especially Jimmy Butler, but the, the whole Heat team, they were just looking to switch on to him. And, and I mean, the number of times Jimmy burned right by him was absurd. Um, like that was just a terrible matchup for the Celtics. He was hunting and... him on offense, like pretty much every time Peyton Pritchard was in the game, Butler wanted a rotation and a screen to get up on him and score on him. And he pretty much scored every single time when he was being guarded by him. So horrible coaching call on Missoula. And you know, then also looking at game two, which you know, that was another close loss for the Celtics, one where they looked really good early on, went on a 21 to two run. Um, but then the Heat punched right back with their own 19 to two run. Um, Celtics were even up by nine points in the fourth quarter. Uh, however, uh, once Grant Williams made a three to make a 96 to 87 Celtics advantage, uh, everything unraveled for them. Uh, there was the infamous, infamous clip of Grant Williams. 
Batman getting into Jimmy Butler's face, which at first was a little bit funny, but then you realize what he was doing and you're like, oh no, honey, what what did you just do? That was not a smart decision. <laughs> like, you didn't just poke a bear. You poked, like, the bear that's, like, famished. That's like, I'm going to eat everything in this national park type of hungry. 100%. Uh, and Jimmy Butler made them pay. He shot 80% when matched up on Grant, which is... I mean, that, that's ridiculous. And it was, once again, one of those things where Jimmy Buckets came and clutched at the end, you know, went on a scoring barrage as the Celtics, you know, got cold. You know, Tatum had a pretty solid game, too, overall, but not in the second know, didn't half, make he didn't. his shots in, in the fourth quarter. Yeah, exactly. You know, didn't make his fourth quarter shots. Uh, I thought in game one, yeah, they really weren't running a good offense either. I mean, Tatum didn't even get really any looks at the end of that game. You know, you really want the Jays getting looks. You know, got to get them going, even if they haven't been having great series, which, you know, as much as we like to praise or blame Tatum primarily for when things go well or things go poorly, and, you know, Tatum did make some very inopportune turnovers too, along with missing his fourth quarter shots, but it cannot be understated how badly the Celtics are missing Jalen Brown and his shooting right now, who he's someone who shot over 50% from the field and over 40% from free the last two series, including 57-51 splits in the Atlanta series. Now he's shooting 15%. So far in the Miami series, 38% from the field and 15% from three. Like That's absurd. It's just not going to cut it. Like, you know, we like to, again, we like to say, criticized Tatum when he goes one four four from the field, you know, in, in a big playoff game. But Jalen Brown also can't be shooting fifteen percent from three, and he's also averaging four your turnovers. Star, like your second bona fide star on that team, where it's like, hey, here's the ball, go get me a bucket. You can't shoot those percentages. And again, the turnover problem. Like, you know, again, Tatum had a hundred turnovers, hundred plus turnovers in the playoffs last year, but also. Brown was also losing the ball a lot in the finals. He was the Celtics' best player during that series, but he also lost a lot of dribbles. And you just can't have that. Uh, you know, you need Brown. I, I need those smooth as butter mid rangers back from, from Jalen Brown ASAP. Yes. Need him more mentally locked in. I know. Uh, I hope it's that he's just been a little bit out of sorts the last two games and not like hurt at all. I mean, I feel like Brown keeps getting very banged up. You know, obviously had to wear the mask for that orbital fracture for a little bit, which in fairness was friendly fire inflicted from Jason Taylor. by the other J. Yeah. Um, but you need more from him. And then same with Al Horford. Like that was kind of the other questionable decision I'd say by Joe Mazzulli yesterday is, in the fourth quarter, you really needed defensive help. And, you know, he decided to keep Robert Williams on the bench, which I don't think was a particularly great decision because the Heat were just kind of bullying the Celtics on the defensive end 
Yeah, they needed a dominant game presence where uh, you saw like there was a lot of possessions where Bam Adebayo was already being boxed out by Al Horford. But the fact that Adebayo is 25 and Horford's 36 going on 37, he pretty much just went right around him and got the board. And there was this huge play in game two where Butler actually missed. And then uh, Adebayo just got the ball. It was an insane offensive rebound, just flushed it back down. That pretty much took all the energy away from the Celtics. And the other problem, too, along with Horford being old, you know, Horford can still play with great intensity, you know, still play very solid defense, but their matchups are very bad for him. And he's a major net negative on the floor when, you know, the Heat are exploiting sort of those matchups on him and he's not hitting his shots because I think he's been 17% from three since game three of the Philly series or 17% in this series so far. Like, it's the same thing as Brown. Like, you need them making their open shots, and they're just not. Like, it almost seems like when Al is getting the ball for, like, a corner three, he seems very rushed in his shots and just very out of rhythm. Um, And he was a huge contributor on last year's final run, so if he can't find his rhythm, I mean... That, that spells disaster for the Celtics. 100%. Um, There's also a few interesting stats to throw your way when it comes to this series as well. So you got Miami, which is pretty much undefeated in the postseason when Butler gets to the line 10 plus times. So it's a pretty cool stat. It tells you how much when he's uh, portraying his paint presence and just trying to like will and determine his weight into that bucket that they're pretty much undefeated because... I think it's bigger than that only stat. I think that the entire Heat team pretty much feeds off of his energy when he's getting to the line that many times. Kind of goes along with what we were saying about the Denver Nuggets grit. So it's that same mentality when it comes to the Heat. They just honestly fight more for those 50-50 balls. They have a lot more drive in them when it comes to just like getting those uncertain possessions and getting those second chance opportunities. They're mostly always coming on top when it comes to the Celtics. I feel like the word soft has been thrown out there for the Celtics team when it comes to fighting for those loose balls or anything along those lines. Grant Williams is pretty much the only Celtics player along with Time Lord who has that intuition and that drive when it comes to fighting for those loose possessions. Whereas your stars like Jason Tatum pretty much just wait for someone else to do it. Um, I can't really say Brown does that because I feel like he's a dog when it comes to defense as well. However, you got people like uh, Jason Tatum, um, Malcolm Brogdon, for example. Your only players that are kind of hustling for b- rebounds and like 50-50 balls are Marcus Smart, Derek White, and Grant Williams. And the fact that Grant Williams hasn't really seen the court that much to begin with tells you that Miami just simply has more players that are willing to do that, which essentially... Um, draws up the way these two games ended, which is a very narrow margin with Miami being on top. And also a really interesting stat for you to think of is that Miami is six and two in games where they're down by 10 in the fourth in this playoffs run. So that's insane. Like that's an example of the last game we're just talking about right now, game two, right? Um, They were down by uh, at least nine in the fourth quarter where the they were uh, down by nine yeah yeah where the instance between jimmy butler and grant williams took place and then just like you said he poked the bear the one bear you don't want to poke and then jimmy actually came out in his mm-hmm. post game conference 
And he said that that definitely affected the way he played in that last fourth quarter. So there's a lot of people speculating that if that didn't happen and that Grant Williams, uh, Jimmy Butler faceoff didn't take place, that the Celtics would have won because Jimmy Butler was having a very average game in the first three quarters. And he pretty much told the entire Miami Heat team to clear out the side for him after that so he could go one-on-one on Grant Williams, which like you just said, he shot 80%, four for five on those positions, which kind of forced Missoula to end up taking Grant Williams out once again and get back in with uh, players like Brogdon. And he should have subbed in Time Lord, like we just said, because the defensive boards were being essentially just handed over to the Miami Heat and Bam Adebayo. Whereas you got players yeah. like Caleb Martin going for 25 points. Just like we said earlier and alluded to, it's the year of the role player. You got people like Gary Vincent stepping back on a dime, stopping on a dime in the mid-range against Jason Tatum, which, as I alluded to earlier, once again, is a really good defender. And draining that mid-range bucket in his face for the game. So honestly, I feel like it's a combination of all the factors that we just discussed that have led to Boston falling those two games at home. So we're really interested to see how they're going to play in game three, which is actually going on right now. And um, yeah, they're pretty much neck and neck. It's 18-16 to the Heat. So I'm really interested to see how it's going to play out. Um, Hopefully, Boston starts playing with a higher sense of urgency because like we know in the other series we just covered, if they end up going up 3-0, I don't care if you guys win the next three straight, you're simply not going to win the series. Yeah, I mean, 0 for 149 are teams that go down out of three in the playoffs. It just, it's not a comeback that happens. And the other thing too is the Celtics have only won two of their last 10 games, their last 10 playoff games when they lead uh, going into the fourth quarter, which isn't a very pleasing stat by any w- means. It, it definitely tells you that they s- struggle in the clutch and, you know, they kind of let their foot off the gas a little bit offensively or maybe defensive intensity wise. Um, it's definitely happened in, in both games. I mean, again, you let Jimmy Buckets go off on barrage, let the role players for the Heat take over um and then just you know guys like brogdon like like brogdon's defense this game is or this series has been especially bad you know he just can't guard anyone um brown brown's made a fair number of mistakes and he even tatum lets up those caleb martin jumpers so it's it's a bit it's a bit challenging for to win when when you have all that going on um yeah. Yeah, I also wanted to kind of end off this episode discussing how um humbly I think I'm one of the best players in the world. Uh your man's in the fourth quarter in the last two games of the Eastern Conference Finals had six and five points respectively. In game one, he was zero for zero from the field, zero for zero from three-point land. And six for six from the free throw line, which pretty much calls him, as you like to dub it, a free throw merchant. And then in game two, he he had five points. And this time he actually tried shooting the ball a little bit, three times. He was still 0 from three from three-point land and from the field. And he was five for five on free throws. 
and a collective five turnovers in both of those games to end the Eastern Conference Finals at home in your first two games. So what are your thoughts on him humbly being one of the best players in the world in that fourth quarter performance, given that context? I mean, it's just brutal. Like in the same way that him like going one for 14 and... At least he followed that up with a W though. At least he saved the entire season. So if he comes up with another heroic performance like this in game three and four, for example, then I'll take what I said back. But at this point, how it currently stands, it's not looking too good for your humbly best player. No, it's not. I mean, you haven't really seen, frankly, either Jay step up and do what's needed of them. I mean, Tatum's got to make those open shots. Game one, I mean, the turnovers are bad. There's no excuses for those, but it just felt like in game one, the Celtics offense was really off. Yeah, they stopped uh, facilitating through Tatum. You know, they really couldn't get him the looks he needed. And I mean, the fact that he didn't even attempt a shot in the fourth quarter. Crazy. Of uh, of an Eastern Conference Finals game, it's absurd. And then, I mean, game two, at least he tried and, and missed, unfortunately. But... You, you need more than that from him. I mean, making the free throws is nice, but combining for five turnovers and being 0 for 3 from 3 and from the field is, it's just not going to work. I mean, you, you just, you need more 51 13 games from Tatum. It's funny you because know? honestly, I think that they kind of feed off of each other in terms of if one person or one player isn't playing the best. Usually you have the other Jay picking up their slack, right? So like when Brown isn't really playing that well, Tatum usually picks that up and vice versa. Mm -hmm. However, in this series, you see both of them disappearing. And honestly, I think it's because that they don't really, they're not really involved in plays with each other. They're mostly like their offense is a lot centric. It's very focused on like Marcus Smart, for example, setting you a pick or passing you the ball and then leaving you on an island to go one on one. However, that's not the best way to get the best performance out of your two top dogs. A lot of better coaching okay. tactics, for example, would be Missoula employing dribble handoffs, screens with involving both of those two players so if the two jays set a screen for both of them then it's going to be a mismatch on the defense no matter what because they can both do everything so if you organize and set up plays which missoula has failed to do including both of your star players then you're going to open up the floor for a lot more mismatches and plays to be had like the denver nuggets do for example they're always employing that two-man game with Jokic and Murray, which essentially ends up being a mismatch on the defensive side pretty much every single time. And if both of them don't mm-hmm. have a bucket, then it's pretty much guaranteed that one of their spot-up shooters who, who are shooting insane numbers gets a wide-open look at a three, right? However, that's not really employed in the Boston Celtics offense as much. You have, like I said, um, either Al Horford, Marcus Smart, or whoever else is on the court just pretty much setting them a screen and then giving them the ball with room to operate without really setting up a lot of off-ball actions or movement. Whereas I think if Missoula used his two stars together and basically tried to make them work constructively, it would be a lot more, um, they would just open a lot more room 
for attack and room for error on the defense so they could basically take what the defense gives them and operate from that standpoint. If you have them involved in dribble handoffs, setting up screens for each other, pretty much any kind of play that involves both of them working together, then I feel like the Boston Celtics offense, as good as it currently is, could take that next step or next leap forward to try to use those mismatches to your guys' advantage rather than settling for them just operating one-on-one and getting buckets like they're already used to having. If you involve them in actions together, then you can take what the defense gives them on top of employing that one-on-one efficiency as well as get the role players involved because you're going to get the defense doubling because one guy got beat. And then, for example, Marcus Smart or Al Horford is going to have a wide open look with two of your best players camping out for offensive rebounds. So I think that goes back to how Spolstra is literally just using the zone, using his coaching expertise to outclass Missoula on that chess piece part of the board. Yeah, there's a little bit of a live by the three, die by the three element going on. I don't think... It's like the Celtics have been abysmal, but they haven't been that great. They've been shooting like around 30-ish percent, I think, from three. That's like like they were really getting carried the last couple of series by the fact that they were making many of their open threes and they're just not now. I mean, again, Al Horford's been under 20% the last like four or five games. Wow. Tatum went 0 for 3 the last two fourth quarters, you know, from three and Brown's been shooting 18%. Like, it's just not clicking. Missoula's, he's got to get creative today. Like, this is for all the marbles. Um, And, but but again, as you said, Spolster's really exploiting those mismatches and really knows how to coach up his guys. And I I think, well, we'll see how today goes. As a Celtics fan, I got to keep rooting for my boys in green. But, they got they got a tough game ahead today. A really tough game. I mean, I'm fo- I'm following along right now. Twenty three to twenty. Close, but but they're, they're gonna need to play like they haven't in quite some time. And I don't know, just that coaching this match. You know, even if the Celtics win today, I think that e- easily can carry for Miami. You know, maybe the Celtics make make the comeback, but. Like right now, I, I definitely would admit objectively that the momentum is very much on the Heat side. And, you know, they're flat out playing better on both ends of the ball. Yeah, honestly, um, really excited to see the end of this game. Uh, let's wrap up today's episode so we can get right to it. Um, I'm happy to see if Boston gets it back to a 2-1 deficit, then it's pretty much anybody's series. If they especially win both games away from home, However, uh, the current chances, the way it's looking, that's very bleak. I don't think that's going to be the case because the yeah. Heat at home just have too many weapons and too many like brains in case of Eric Spolstra just outclassing his counterpart in Missoula like we just discussed. However, it's basketball. This offseason has been full of surprises, so I wouldn't put anything past it, including LeBron coming down from a 3-0 deficit, even though it's a 0.1% chance. It still might happen, especially because this offseason, like we just said, has been full of ambiguities, surprises, and essentially just the story that doesn't end up 
having the prowess to come out on front doing that exact same thing.